0: Maybe it's that website, it's that first article, it's learning WordPress, right? Like these are all skills that you can, you know, parlay and, and trade up into the next thing. So hey, what's going on? This is Doug Huntington, and
1: you're listening to The Doug Show. In this episode, we're talking to Nick Loper. I don't remember exactly when I found the side hustle show. That's Nick's podcast, but it was pretty early in my obsession. Uh, with marketing, not not with Nick, just to be clear. And just like Smart Passive Income by Pat Flynn, I downloaded basically all the episodes uh, from Nick's show, and I learned a ton. So, I pinged Nick a little while back. We did an interview, and we go all over the place in this interview. So we talk about how he got started initially with affiliate marketing as a side gig. Eventually, he did really well, and he quit his full time job and did affiliate marketing full time. And this was a few years before he even launched the side hustle show, which was cool to hear. And we go through you know tons of stuff. So we talk about different business ideas. We talk about the tools that we use and that sort of thing. So I want to thank Nick a lot and definitely check out his podcast if you haven't yet. Check out his blog also, the Side Hustle Nation blog, and we'll put links and everything in the show notes and the description and all that good stuff. After the interview, I'll answer a few questions, including one on images. Someone asked about using public domain images, product images, images from companies, and so on. There's a question on hosting. So we'll talk about a couple of the web hosting companies that I really like. And I'm an affiliate for the ones that I'll mention. So I'll just go ahead and disclose that here. And there's a question about choosing a niche. And I'll give you some tips and things to think about when you're in that early stage of trying to figure out what your website is going to be about welcome. I'm talking with my friend Nick Loper from Side Hustle Nation, the host of Side Hustle Show. Welcome Nick, how are you doing today?
0: Doing great, Doug. Thanks for having me.
1: For the people that don't know you, can you just give us a quick intro on who you are and a little
0: bit about the show, maybe? Sure. So for the last few five years, I've hosted a weekly podcast called The Side Hustle Show. It explores part-time business ideas, different ways to make money outside of your day job. And I started it because that was my entrepreneurial background. My original side hustle was a footwear comparison shopping site that earned uh, affiliate commissions from Zappos and Amazon and, and a bunch of these other online footwear retailers. And that was the vehicle that let me quit my job. So while I was running that, as a side hustle, started uh, several different projects, including the very meta side hustle show.
1: Very cool. And how long after you quit did you start the podcast?
0: Uh, Years, like five years, six years. (laughs) I was like, yeah, five years of, uh, you know, before, before I felt like comfortable being like the side hustle guy, I guess, trying to do a little bit of a personal branding project.
1: Very cool. I had no idea. So that means you started like affiliate marketing and stuff like about 10 11 years ago something like that.
0: Yeah, back in the day. Um, probably 20 2004. Wow. And uh, s- scaled it to you know, a pretty decent business by 2008, 2009, 2010. And um, you know, I sol- sold a lot of shoes. <laughs> Mostly focused in in footwear of all things, but um have kind of kept the the lessons and the learnings from that business to dictate some of the projects today
1: very cool yeah i had no idea you got started that early so it's actually amazing because like me i started my you know niche site project pretty quick after i got started but you really were in the trenches for a long time very interesting so with that business, I'm just curious. Like with that business, did you um, get a lot of traffic from like SEO, or were, was it coming from ads or somewhere else?
0: It was primarily driven through AdWords and uh, and Bing, and which used to be even like Yahoo and Overture, like back in the day. And so it was heavily reliant on paid traffic. Where one of the probably one of the failure points was that I've failed to reinvest that profit from the, from the pay-per-click stuff into SEO. And so never really got a lot of organic love. Um, and maybe that would have given, given the business a little more staying power. How long was it around then? Um, from 2004 in it's very earliest stages to 2014. So when the kind of shut it, shut it down and, and focused on the side hustle nation stuff as a, as a primary focus.
1: Right on. Very cool. So, I guess when you first started, did you have any like specific goals or did you just get obsessed with like marketing and that sort of thing?
0: And so I started, I don't even know if this is still a thing, but I started with direct link um, ads on Google, like text ads for specific models of shoes. Like if you were searching for uh, new balance model, you know, number XYZ, like that was a great long tail search term because it was like super specific. And just linking that with my affiliate link, the problem was it was really tedious to maintain because the shoes would go out of stock or the price would change, and like whoever I was promoting wasn't necessarily the best deal anymore. And so my reasoning, and at that point the goal was to like pay my rent in college, which you know was less than four hundred bucks a month. So I was like, that was a victory. So it was like total like beer money side hustle, right? Right. Um, after graduation and, and kind of getting my first corporate job, still had this stuff running on the side. And my reasoning was like, okay, this could scale if if I could build a, a website out. And, you know, the prices would update automatically. The catalogs would update automatically. And that was the theory anyways. That's kind of the the rudimentary uh, vision that I have for the, for the website. And, you know, posted a job on guru.com and met a developer and we hashed out this deal. And it was you know, a slow, slow development process and a super ugly website. You can probably go to like Wayback Machine and look it up. It was called ShoesRUs.net back in, in its early iterations. And um, but, it, but it was functional and it, and it got the job done.
1: Wow. Now, when you were transitioning from like the side hustle to like full time, I guess, how did that go? How did you make that decision?
0: Well, I made the decision based on a a track record of revenue history, which is something I would recommend everybody do instead of, you have probably heard the definition of an entrepreneur is like, you know, somebody who jumps off the cliff and like figures out how to build their parachute on the way down. Absolutely not. Not for me anyways. Um, much more risk averse. So, you know, I had a track record of, of earnings history probably going back. Um, so it was three years before I quit my job. So at least for the last two years, like there was a pretty solid earnings history. I don't know if it was fully to the point of replacing my day job salary. I was making around 50 grand a year at that time but what it was doing for sure was you know covering my monthly expenses and i could see with an extra 40 50 hours a week like okay i can i can easily get it there and beyond and so that's kind of what what happened after i quit was you know having more time to focus on it to scale it up
1: and i i agree with that approach 100% too it's very i don't know it seems like a sexy idea to like walk in and quit or walk out of a meeting <laughs> and quit and then you're kind of stuck with like who knows what to, to do with your side hustle. But yeah, I'm thinking a lot of, a lot of, uh, sort of risk averse ideas as well. So I think, yeah, it's just a much better approach to like, take your time. There's not a huge rush.
0: So it's going to be there tomorrow. And that's what I had to tell myself too. Cause it was like, you know, working at the end, they're almost two full-time jobs and just be like, okay, deep breath, like, it's just shoes. It's not going anywhere. You know, it'll be there tomorrow. Um, and it's the same thing with this stuff today. Like you feel pressure to put out a blog post or put it on an episode. And you know, I, so I stopped sending my newsletter for two weeks and out of like 60,000 people, like two people took the time to respond and be like, dude, where are you? You know, are everything okay. <laughs> are you all right? And so like some people did miss it, but you know, most yeah. people just went about their day.
1: They should follow you on Instagram, man. Like they'll be able <laughs> yeah. to, you know, make sure you're all right. So you're, Having a good time. To lots of side hustlers, I think at this point you've talked to you know well over 200, close to 300. I know you're coming up on the the big 300 episode milestone. So, do you have any like side hustles that maybe you've heard of in the last few months that are really interesting to you that people should maybe take a look at?
0: There have been a handful that are either super creative or super, like, I was just, you know, inspired hearing the story. So uh, a recent one was actually a cleaning business, a residential cleaning business started by this guy who was still in college. And I was like, were you some like, you know, clean freak who always had to be, you know, dusting your apartment and stuff. He's like, no, what I did was just, I saw this opportunity in the Yelp reviews for these cleaning businesses that had been around for decades in some cases where, They were technically very proficient at the act of cleaning, but they sucked at the business stuff. They didn't answer their phones. They were unresponsive, like all that stuff. So he reasoned, look, I can find people to clean. Like that's not rocket science. And I'm just going to do the business side really well. And so he he explained he got his first customers through a platform called Thumbtack. Um, And his, his other advantage was in running it as a side hustle. He's like, I got all the business between 5 p.m. when those other businesses close and weren't responding for, or via text or email or message or, you know, phone. I got all the business between 5 p.m. and 9 a.m. just because, you know, I was a scrappy young hustler who was, you know, out there being responsive. And so I thought that was a really cool one. Never clean an apartment, never clean a house himself. Um, he was doing, I think, 60 grand a month when we talked and running the whole thing remotely. He was like, so the cleaning business is in Washington, D.C. He was off in London when we called. He's spending time in Japan. Like, he's all over the place. I thought that one was really cool. One that was also inspiring was this dude who wanted to get into real estate investing but didn't have, you know, the capital necessary. So he uh, and he was at his, his kids friend's birthday party and they had this like inflatable bounce house thing there and he's like that's like rental real estate in a way <laughs> somebody is renting this bounce house right now so he goes home finds one of these things used on Craigslist for 800 bucks and starts renting it for 130 140 bucks a day he's like that pencils out a lot better math wise than like the 1% rule for traditional rental real estate so i like that one uh, another one on the bounce house front was actually a guy drop shipping these giant commercial bounce houses, like several thousand dollars, um, holding no inventory, having his suppliers ship this stuff out on his behalf and sold 300 grand worth of them in the first year, driving traffic with Google Ads and then reinvesting that uh, into SEO. It was just, dang, you know, holy crap, you know, put up a Shopify store and, and develop some supplier relationships and kind of off to the races. Um, so those were the kind of three recent ones. I mean, there's hundreds that we can (laughs) can talk about, but I love them.
1: Yeah. I listened to the one uh, with the cleaning business. And if I remember right, the the guy was in college when he was launching it, right? He was like uh, studying for finals, like as the business was getting going, right?
0: Yeah. So this thing went, you know, from zero, you know, side hustle college student to 60 grand a month over the course of 2 years and he said like while he was, you know, in that final semester he's like trying to respond to stuff in class and like answering call like you having to step out his professors are like dude what are you doing you know and he's like I'm trying to run a business here man yeah this is like, the best this is the best entrepreneurial education
1: that's amazing yeah cuz i mean the the point being he wasn't like uh you know an MBA or anything like that he was just like a guy going, going to class and
0: whatnot. So interesting. Yeah, definitely. Definitely a smart dude and and a go-getter for sure. And I mean, all these, all these people are. So let's rewind a little bit.
1: Um, What was your like corporate job back in the day?
0: So I was a sales rep for Ford um, on their service and parts side of their business. So it would interface with their uh, dealers and uh, try and get them to sell more Ford parts.
1: Simple. And, a little known fact—I don't know if you remember this, Nick—but um, you worked like in in Atlanta back in the day, right in the Dunwoody area. Mm-hmm. So, like, I used to live like right in that sort of pocket, that neighborhood, in the perimeter. So, yeah, yeah like, <laughs> I feel
0: like per- we—I I know I like Google Earth it and be like, oh crap, you were like a it mile was away,
1: really close. Yeah, so maybe we ate at the same restaurant at the same <laughs> time, but didn't know it. We both had like much more hair back then. I bet. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say we we look different now. <laughs> so. As you were growing the business um, and even now, like how do you deal with like motivation and I know as I was getting started and when I talked to other people like there's always points where things get hard it takes longer than you thought things didn't come through when you thought they would so how do you deal with motivation?
0: Man yeah, lot I mean first of all it's fun um, so that's kind of inherently motivating like if you find the work interesting and challenging. That's, I think, always going to be a factor for me. There are a few other factors like, you know, getting feedback from listeners and readers is huge. Like, hey, this helped me do X, Y and Z. Hey, I read your thing on getting traffic from Pinterest and I tripled my website like stuff like that is really powerful, at least for me. Um, Other stuff is like getting to the money milestones fast. Um, You know, (laughs) if it's like, you know, just getting a freelance client or, you know, something where it's like, very low overhead, you know, very quick to to make a pitch and make a deal, like versus, you know, as you know, like building a niche site and building links and building content, like it could be months before you ever start to see any rankings. And like, it can be tough to keep, you know, keep it going. So in cases like those, trying to set kind of like micro milestones to check off the list, you know, that you can continue to chip away at every day and, and make it feel like, okay, I'm, I'm doing the right things, I'm moving forward, I'm making progress, even if I'm not seeing any direct results per se.
1: Gotcha. And I take it that that sort of shapes your productivity as well. So you'll have like mini milestones along the way so you can sort of track your longer-term goals. Is that accurate?
0: I'm really bad at long-term goals. (laughs) I haven't (laughs) haven't even said any for for a long time. But it's you kind of step into this stuff and think, at least in terms of the podcast, starting with the the hook or the story or the you know the the broad idea first, and then re- trying to figure out okay who's going to be the best person to illustrate that to tell that story. And even when you get pitches coming in, you're like okay, you're an awesome entrepreneur, but like maybe you're too far along for my audience, or maybe like it's not super applicable. I got talk to a woman the other day, had a cool business, you know, was selling digital products and her own kind of invention, her own course um, on Amazon. But she dumped a hundred grand into, you know, the initial production of that course. I was like, oh, you know, I was was like, uh, you know, it was my bad. Like I hadn't done the homework in advance. And I was like, oh, you know, what gave you the confidence to to do that? Where'd that money come from? Like, was that a bootstrap thing? Um, So trying to You know, trying to put the audience first, I guess, (laughs) like make sure that, you know, and if she had been like, well, I followed this specific formula on Kickstarter and it went viral, like that's one thing, but it's like, hey, I just had a hundred grand sitting around like whatever.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of hard to like relate that to people who were trying to do a side hustle. So interesting. All right. So I guess on that point, I'm, I'm a (laughs) product, I'm a productivity geek. So I sort of get into it, try, like, several things, and I'm always testing something. Like, how do you manage your productivity,
0: say, on a weekly basis, just day to day? Let's do it. I mean, I'm going to I'm probably ask you some questions on the productivity front. All right. uh, the biggest shift for me in the last couple of years has been theme days, um, which is something I picked up from Mike Vardy at uh, Productivityist.com. And and inside of those theme days, so Monday is kind of like a content creation day. Tuesday is meeting day. Wednesday is you know working on other side hustle stuff and some admin. And then Thursday is theoretically blocked off for like side hustle growth projects. Um, you know, for a while that was like an email list migration. That was a website redesign. Um, you know, maybe it takes the form of of like a like a course or something like that. But and then Fridays are off because you know I get to spend the time uh with my with my son. Inside those theme days, the biggest shift was stacking all the meetings up on Tuesdays, just because I would have previously I'd have you know some project I was working on and then I'd have a you know a fifteen minute call in half an hour or, you know, and then fifteen minutes after that have another two a deep work rhythm. Whereas now it's just like, okay, Tuesdays are a wash, you know, and usually nine to five is, is stacked up um pretty, pretty deep with, with recordings, um, and, and other meetings. So it's like, um, that's probably been the biggest shift and opened up the biggest time blocks on other days to, to get some meaningful stuff done.
1: So I've done a similar thing uh, as well, Nick. So I, I don't do it every single week, but most of the time I try and like do as much of one thing on one day as I can kind of, like you said, um, especially for like content, content creation, like it may take me Forty-five minutes to get in the mood to write, which is kind of a long time. But if I could write for three hours after that, that's pretty solid. I can get a few thousand words, edit on some other day, and hopefully, you know, I don't have any meetings to interrupt that or a live stream or yeah. anything like that. Um, now, on those days, you know, this is a Tuesday. Does your voice hold up pretty good? I mean, I guess over the years, um, you've been able to manage your your voice, but talking all day—it's a little rough, right?
0: I can definitely. Feel it at the end of the day more um, it, like that 's the beauty of, of hosting an interview show mostly so if i'm if i 'm behind the mic you know asking the questions, let somebody else do the talking most of the time, so that helps so it 's definitely a mix of the two cool, got it
1: so i'm asking a lot of uh, the folks in this side hustle series about. Like side hustle ideas that you have thought of yourself, not necessarily from guests in your case, but maybe it's something that scratches your own itch. You're busy, you have too many things to do, and you can't pursue it. So do you have any ideas like that?
0: Oh my gosh. So like the, the the donate a business idea segment. Yes. Um the gosh, I I used to keep a file of these. I should pull that up. The the one that I've actually been kind of curious to test is the the loan signing system so apparently for people closing on mortgages in almost every state some states require an attorney but most states don't they have a note come and walk you through like the signing paperwork and you know they tell you what you're signing your life away to and 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 all the stuff to close on the mortgage for those appointments like those signing agents are earning 75 bucks to 150 bucks or sometimes even more depending on how long it takes, how big the stack of papers is. And all you need to get started is a notary license. So um, I had the guy on the show a year ago, a year and a half ago now, who you know, taught an online course about how to become a loan signing agent. And the the whole episode was about like, you know, how we scaled this course with no audience to start with. And at the end of the episode, all the feedback was like, okay, that was great. But like, we want to learn more about like this loan signing thing. So I had him back on um, this year with one of his students who was making, you know, I can't remember what he was like. I think he was between $1,500 and $2,000 uh, a month on the side from his day job, like when we recorded. And then the following month, he was like at 3500 And I was like, holy, holy crap. Like, and he's like, just for watching people sign papers. And it was just like, um, so that's one I kind of, I almost want to like mystery shop the guy's course and like go test this out on my own. Cause that seems super, I don't want to say easy, but like not hard. <laughs> not it seems difficult.
1: pretty flexible. Like you could kind of just, if you want to do 10 of them a week or whatever, or 10 a month.
0: And that's, that's what he awesome. said, like you get, you get the notifications on, on text message, hey, are you available at 6.30 tonight? And he can reply yes or no, and it's just okay.
1: Man, that's pretty cool.
0: Any others? So there was that one. I've been kind of wanting to do like an email marketing um, well, actually, two side. Like, I've, for a long time, I've been wanting to build like the email marketing, you know, authority site. You know, that compares all the different service providers, and like, here's the pros and cons of ConvertKit. Here's the pros and cons of ActiveCampaign. Here's what you, you know, the different features and stuff. Never have carved out the time to build that. But the other thing I've been, you know, wanting to do on the email front is to build an email. Based business. That's just like a daily newsletter, curated topics on some, like, here are the best articles on photography, on, um, you know, the best food blog, you know, whatever it is. Cause like the one that I really like is uh, Rockstar Finance, like the best personal finance articles of the day. Um, they send just one email a day. I think they have ads or they have sponsors. Like it's just a, a super low overhead business. You think about like The Hustle is another one that I get um, where, you know, it's just, it's just, you know, good writing and good email. Like they tell a story and then there's some sponsors spots that they sell on that. And they could say, Hey, look, you know, we got a hundred thousand people. We got a 50% open rate. Here's, here's our rates. I think that one would be a cool little side, side hustle to, uh, to play around with.
1: Very good. And if I may, we could edit this if needed, Nick, if I may point out, um, like your idea about, uh, the, email service provider list like you've done a similar thing with uh, credit cards right here pretty recently
0: yeah a little bit um you know i, I guess I had a different kind of a different vision for it. but like the credit card thing sure um was just you know we, we got back from a month-long trip because daycare let us take the month off is essentially free we spent 1200 bucks on flights um but didn't pay for a single hotel. Didn't pay for Airbnb. We had some Airbnb credit. We stayed with some friends and family for part of that. But used used some miles. Used some hotel points. And people were asking, like, "Wait a minute! You know, you seem to go on these pretty decent trips, and you're not, you know, you're not slumming it while you're there." Um, so you know, put together a free guide on like, okay, how it really works is, you know, we take advantage of these different credit card sign-up bonuses and, you know, try and be smart with our spending. Cause like the default is like, you know, 1% cash back, 2% cash back, which is okay. It's better than nothing. Like I'll take it. But, you know, through strategically signing up for, for new cards, if, if you have the spending to, you know, to justify it or to reach that you know minimum spend required for the bonus, and you're going to be a responsible borrower. You're going to pay it off and all that jazz. Um, you can actually do significantly better than one to two percent. I mean, you could do 30, 40, 50 percent, like on certain cards for for um, mileage rewards and stuff like that. So that's at freecreditcardcourse.com. You can find it on on YouTube as well. But just a kind of a, a fun little walkthrough guide. You know, here's here's what we've been able to do with. I don't, want to even, I don't even want to say like travel hacking or anything like that, but it's just like, you know, spending smarter. It's like free money. So it's like, why not take it?
1: Rip. And I recently took a trip and basically I, I no one asked me about <laughs> what my travel was like, but we basically paid all with points as well. So stayed in a really nice hotel. We were able to bring our dog in. It was one of those boutique hotels that allows dogs and they have like organic dog treats and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) Um, but yeah, like, uh, we had a VRBO on the beach and it was awesome. And yeah, all not hotel points, but all like reward points in some fashion. And, you know, some of them, like in in my case, I think I had the, well, I don't want to say the specific one, but I had one, it's a business card. And if you like spend enough in six months, then you get like 80,000 points, which is a lot. And I knew yep. I was going to spend that much on tools or whatever I needed. So it's a no brainer sometimes if you just plan like a little bit ahead.
0: Yeah. It's just prepaying for software, prepaying for conferences, for, you know, whatever expenses you have in your business, like paying contractors in, in certain cases. Um, although I usually tack on a little bit in those cases, like I don't want to make them pay the fee. <laughs> so it's like, oh, I'll add a little bit to it. Right. So let's get into
1: like, some of your, your team, maybe I actually, I don't know if you have like a, a big team or anything, but I imagine, you know, you're, you're a busy guy. You've been doing the podcast for a while. Like, do you have any outsourced, uh, freelancers out there?
0: Yeah. I kind of have kind of a convoluted system of, of specialists right now. And maybe, maybe the team will grow in the next few months like, to kind of have a, like a project manager or kind of like a more executive assistant role, but how are the, the stack looks like today on the podcast side there's a podcast editing service i use podcastfasttrack.com. they kind of take the you know they run through the raw audio i can mark up the transcription and be like cut this cut this um you know they just make it sound make it sound good um there is a uh freelance writer in the uk who's actually been um been with me for years now um he uh, summarizes the show, so he kind of creates the episode-specific lead magnets that you see for a lot of the episodes. He writes the show notes and he does some content writing for another one of my sites as well. I have a dedicated Pinterest manager who actually just um, I was, she was just in in the states, like she's from India, and she sends me this email like I'm in, I'm in the states. Um, where do you live? And I'm like, it's a big country, you know. <laughs> I live I live in Livermore. Uh, you ever ever heard of it? And she's like. Holy crap, that's only 40, 40 miles from me, you know? Uh, so we got to hang out and have lunch with her and her mm-hmm. husband. That was super cool. Wow. First time I met, like, one of my virtual team members in 13, you know, from from the very first guy on guru.com. I think that was the last one that I met. <laughs> um, so she does the Pinterest stuff. I have a service called OK Relax, which is the closest thing to, like, a dedicated general VA. She does, you know, article research. She does some, you know, lead magnet installations she does some blog post formatting just kind of general admin stuff and then some longer term i don't know just like if you have some tedious data entry thing like she might um, have a post on like the best udemy courses um and so she took a lot of the screenshots and stuff for that too and did some formatting there um what else i have fancy hands uh, this is like a, a new york based um non-dedicated virtual assistant service so you could send over they they do stuff, like they respond to certain emails on my behalf, like, hey, follow this template based on the responses. They do some proofreading. Like I just had them proofread a couple of blog posts. It's always good to have a second set of eyes on that stuff. They, you know, check in for flights. They do some research too. But, you know, they, I, I earn a lot of referral credits for them, and they they don't pay me in cash, so I just burn them through using the service. And then i got somebody else that runs... The Amazon ads, like AMS ads for books, um, that might be it. That might be it right now. Cool. So it pr-
1: sounds pretty lean. It sounds like maybe one or two or three are pretty critical, and then everyone else like it's sort of uh, as needed.
0: Yeah, the overhead has crept up a little bit over the years, but it's you know it's justified as the business has has grown, and that's where it's like okay, it's probably just about to the point of looking for that executive assistant project manager role email triage uh, I don't know just like a higher level um, higher I don't know what, what's your team look like I'm curious to hear where you're at yeah it's very lean also so I
1: have um, an assistant that helps with like email support for like my uh, niche site course and then I have another assistant that helps a lot on the YouTube side so she was a YouTuber. We just happened to have like a couple common friends and she needed like uh, some some more uh, like contract work basically. And yeah, so she helps me a lot on the YouTube side and she has more of a an eye for, you. she was a vlogger. So she has more like pure skills in that area where I was just doing like talking heads kind of videos, tutorials. So I have that. And then I usually just spawn up teams for whatever I need. So if I have... Um, a bunch of content that needs to be written. I'll spend a week and hire three or four writers, maybe get a content manager, have them train them a bit, have them run through the project in four to six weeks, and then move on to the next thing. That way I can grow the team really fast and get rid of them. The scary thing for me to bring someone on on a more regular basis is i would have to make sure that they had enough work to do so that they wouldn't start looking for other work. Um, which I guess that's where the, uh, you know, the companies that have like an as needed or whenever you put something in the queue, like someone does, it sounds like fancy hands is maybe kind of like that. Right.
0: Yeah, how it works is, you know, they have a distributed team kind of behind the scenes that's tackling these tasks. And so, you know, your request goes into a queue with all their other customers, and then, you know, people can pick them off based on, you know, whether it's something they can do or they want to do, like, oh, sit on the phone with Comcast or call my insurance company, whatever it is.
1: (laughs) Nice. And I guess uh, the rates vary depending on the skill that you need um, them to have for fancy hands. (laughs)
0: If for for their service, it's like a flat monthly fee for i think for fifteen requests a month it's fifty bucks and then okay relax is is an overseas service, but dedicated i think it's twenty five requests up to half an hour for a hundred bucks a month
1: Oh that's pretty good. I may have to look into that i I didn't know that one existed cool yeah,
0: yeah. they've been they've been pretty cool although. I think my, I think my assistant is pregnant, like about to give birth. And so like, Oh shoot, you know, we're going to be on maternity leave for a minute here. Right, man. So
1: yeah, that's kind of my team. I, I usually keep it pretty lean and then I like to just work on a project and, and like end it, dismantle the team. Everybody knows that that's how it's going to work. So, um, it works well, a lot of flexibility that way. And I could change my mind like, you know, often once I finish the project. So. yeah. Right. As you were getting started or even now, were you part of mastermind groups?
0: I was kind of a latecomer to mastermind groups. So I didn't have a mastermind until 2014. Um, And and I remember like my, my friend was like, you gotta have a mastermind group. And so I'm like, literally Googling, like, what is this? I think it's like a name brand thing. She's like, come on, think and grow rich. Mastermind groups was like, I got, I got nothing here. Um, Since then, Super, super helpful. Like, I was a lone wolf, like, heads down working on my thing, and it was lonely, but I didn't know any other way. And so, you know, having some accountability, having people to bounce ideas off of, get feedback. What do you think of this landing page? What do you think of this project? If this was your business, how would you grow it? How would you drive more traffic? You know, what really should I be focusing on? How often should I send emails like, you know, a million and one questions. And it's been really, really helpful to have that kind of feedback group, accountability group, uh, you know, for the past several years.
1: Cool. And it sounds like um, you're describing a group like the ones I've been part, a part of where it's mostly, you know, peer based, although everyone has, has their own specialized skills and stuff. This is not like a paid mastermind, right? Paid mastermind.
0: Yeah, I haven't been a part of a paid mastermind. Actually, have hosted some uh, on Side Hustle Nation. That was like the first like monetization for for the site. So like, the light bulb goes off. I see like the amazing power of, of masterminds. And a friend was like, "Dude, you got an audience. You should host a mastermind." I was like, "All right, let's try it out." Um, and then ran that for for a couple years. It was actually really cool. And when you have a group that's like really firing and motivated, is it was one of the coolest things to see the progress every week. And then when you have like attendance issues and people aren't doing what they say they're gonna do, it was like a drag. So I'm kind of it's been on hiatus since since my uh first son was born and he's like two and a half. So I'm trying to figure out how to retool it, rethink it in a way that makes it more impactful and, and more worthwhile. Gotcha.
1: Cool. Yeah, I'm a big believer in mastermind groups, just like you said. I mean, if you're just at the laptop by yourself and you hit a roadblock, it's really, it's tough to like get out of the tailspin if you don't have some people to just chat with. And sometimes it's just, you know, a therapy session to, you know, get some stuff off your chest that you're dealing with in the business where people can understand what you're talking about, have the same vocabulary for, for example.
0: Yeah. I mean, the podcast has been huge for, for network building, but also just, you know, a bunch of free Facebook groups. Like there's some cool communities of entrepreneurs out there and there's probably a specialty group for whatever type of business you're trying to build. And so people will ask me questions about, you know, some nuance of, you know, like an Amazon FBA program. And I'm like, I don't know, you know, find a, you know, ask, ask the Facebook group, you know, there's somebody, I mean, there's a site oscillation Facebook group, there's I'm sure a million dedicated specifically to FBA. So, you know, go find, you'll go find somebody there. I know, I know there's going to be somebody willing to help.
1: So one other thing I want to point out with Nick here is, you're not just a uh, you know a mouthpiece talking about this stuff. You also have like side hustles. You're testing stuff all the time. Can you tell us uh, some of the streams of income you have out there?
0: Um, well, there's the self-publishing stuff. There was the Amazon FBA stuff, kind of like the eBay Amazon arbitrage stuff. Like I haven't been doing that um, a ton recently, but you know, just to kind of, cause I was skeptical about it. I heard about it on a podcast. Like you can walk into Walmart and scan clearance items and sell them for a profit on Amazon. Like how come no one told the Walmart employees about that? <laughs> like it just didn't, it just didn't register. It didn't make sense. Like it just, and then I did it and proved it. And I was like, well, what do you know? You know, holy crap, there's opportunity everywhere. Um, some freelancing stuff also, you know, so I've done freelance, uh, book editing, uh, a little bit of freelance writing, We've done some like website audits and stuff like that for people, even did some freelance like uh, virtual assistant recruiting back in the day. you know all of those kind of kind of helped give me the confidence to like put myself out there and say okay you're you 're worth charging money for whatever skill you have and you know those were just some pretty fun projects too. Um, so I have an online course on self publishing starting to get a little bit dated now since I was from late 2014 um, Actually, in response to a guest post that I wrote, people were like, "Holy crap! This should be a book on itself." And you know, people wanted more, so like, okay, I'll turn that into a course. Um, trying to think of other income streams. I've been playing around with um, some alternative investments, um, Fundrise and Peer Street specifically. I was a, a Prosper investor, a peer-to-peer lender um, investor for a long time. Kind of transitioning out of Prosper right now and into some of these more real estate-backed. Um, investments and then playing around with like dividend stocks and stuff too um it was ace chapman who i know you know he he was on the podcast and he and he said you know when i need money i go buy it and it, it took a it took a while for that to like click but he was you know it was a kind of a cool a cool way to think about like buying cash flow and so that's helped that's improved my mindset about buying even just stocks and stuff that's okay right. so i still have some affiliate sites um you know, most of them don't do much, but a couple, actually one does, does pretty well. Um, and then it's like the side hustle stuff. Um, clarity, Clarity.f. Have You ever take any calls on clarity?
1: No, I, I remember when it was like popular and I heard about it quite a bit, but is that working out well for you? Or?
0: I don't get a ton of call requests, but it's kind of a fun platform. Actually. One of my you know, one of my repeat customers like doesn't want to talk about side hustles. They don't want to talk about outsourcing. They just want like website feedback. And so it's, you know, sure, I'll give you feedback on your landing page. Like it's pretty cool.
1: Interesting. And the, I think the, like the rates are, are published on there. So can you tell us what you make for say a half hour call?
0: Um, I think it's set to like two fifty an hour or something right now.
1: Okay. So it's enough for you to Go look at somebody's four, website and four
0: seventeen a minute. So they price it by minute. So I don't know what that averages out All right, to. Times three, one hundred twenty. Is that right? Yeah, there we go. Two fifty. Cool.
1: Two fifty. My math is terrible. Sorry.
0: <laughs> no, I and that's a cool one. I mean, it's tech focused. It's marketing focused, but like, it's an easy place to put up your profile and say, "Hey, um, I'm going to take calls and." The, the what's cool about it is like the price ceiling so you can either you can set calls for free but if you're going to charge I think the minimum is 60 bucks an hour
1: oh that's nice it's kind of like the opposite of like Udemy where I, I think it was like a race to the bottom for like any course like you could basically get for 10 bucks I remember back in the day so. yeah they still are
0: pretty aggressive with those price promotions
1: I think that's about it is there anything else I should ask you uh, before we sort of wrap her up here
0: I don't know. I'm trying to think. I'm like scrolling through the, the feed here, of like recent uh, podcast episodes that might be interesting ones for, for your folks. Oh, one guy was interesting. It was um, a, a dude who built a parking lot litter cleanup business. He started this in the early 80s. So he's like not a young guy now, um, but has built this to like a 600 grand a year operation hired a bunch of people to like do the litter pickup for him and he's like look if you can take if you can go for a walk and especially if you can go for a walk not during regular business hours because you got to do this when like there's no cars in the parking lot like he called it the world's easiest side hustle or america's simplest side hustle or something so i thought that was an inspiring one um what was the other this one was not online at all and neither was the trash pickup but there was a guy i met who specializes in like flipping pallets or like industrial shipping byproducts. And, and since talking to him every time I, uh, you know, I see a pallet or a stack of pallets or like a flatbed loaded with pallets. I'm like pallet money, pallet money. Cause like most of the time he's getting this stuff for free. Cause the, company like gets their product in on it and they don't know what to do with it. Like, you know, they either gotta get rid of it or pay somebody to take it away. So normally he gets his inventory for free and then drives it around the corner to the next, you know, business in the industrial park that he's built like this makeshift database for. Like, okay, oh, they're they need pallets to ship theirs, you know, whatever their product is out on. So I've always texting him pictures, like pallet money. He's like, Oh, that's probably about seven hundred bucks right there.
1: <laughs> that's you know what, I've driven past uh, one of those and I remember I'm like there's acres of pallets like what is going yeah. on here but that is exactly what it was.
0: Yeah, he was like what you do is you go on your town and you know you know the industrial parts of town you so you google earth it and you know this is like you know super cheap scouting right it's so like before you go out and you know drive around and knock on doors like google earth see if there's like a stack of pallets and stuff like that's a good place to start.
1: How about that? Who would have thought? Yeah and I mean the thing is like once you start looking around everyone has like some little problem that It needs to be solved and they'll pay money if you're solving their problem.
0: Yeah, it was kind of like a a cool, uh, you know, turning trash into treasure kind of story.
1: Very cool. Well, thanks, Nick. Um, Is there any, I guess, last tips that you would give someone who's maybe, maybe they don't have a side hustle yet and they're thinking of like pulling the trigger and trying something? Like, what can you tell them?
0: So start small and think of it in terms of trades. So I I just talked to the flea market flipper for a where are they now episode with with him. Um, It's basically, you know, how can I multiply money fast? And in his case, it's like finding something that somebody else doesn't want, thinks is worthless, doesn't want to be bothered with fixing or cleaning or whatever, you know, acquiring it cheap. And, and reselling it, right? And then parlaying that into the next thing, into the next thing. And even if it's not physical products, maybe it's that website. It's that first article. It's learning WordPress, right? Like these are all skills that you can, you know, parlay and, and trade up into the next thing. So that's kind of my, my advice for today is, you know, start small and think about, you don't have to know, you know, the next 13, 14 trades, but, you know, you can kind of imagine what the first couple might look like.
1: Awesome. Thanks a lot, Nick. So everybody definitely check out the side hustle show and i'll put links to all of nick's stuff um is there anywhere specific that you want people to go like is your number one choice
0: um if you hit slash ideas you'll have a constantly updated laundry list of part-time business ideas so if you're looking to get started that's a, a great place to get the creative juices flowing
1: very good thanks nick i appreciate it talk to you soon you bet thanks again to nick loper Be sure to check out the Side Hustle show. In fact, I was a guest on the show way back in the day. The unfortunate part is I talked about private blog networks, which Google doesn't like very much. It's considered a gray hat, basically against the rules, link building technique, which I don't use anymore. But that's what I talked about on Nick's show. It was a very popular topic back in uh, around 2014 or so. Before we get to the questions... I'll tell a little story. This past weekend, I had a couple friends over to play an escape room like board game. So if you're not familiar with the escape room concept, generally these are places that you, you go, they put you in a room and you have to solve a puzzle to get let out. The door is locked, maybe there's a couple doors that are locked and you have to solve riddles, puzzles of different kinds to get out. Usually they last about an hour or so, and it's pretty fun, it's pretty fun. You do, whenever you're in there, you do need to make sure you understand the escape plan of an actual emergency. So if there's like a fire in the building, there does need to be some other way to get out of there. Usually they'll tell you there's like, um, you know, if there's some emergency, here's how to do it. Just as a disclosure uh, for me to tell you that, anyway, there are like board games that you can do at home so the escape rooms that i've been to usually cost like 20 25 bucks or so per person so it's it's fun but it's a nice chunk of change you can get these escape room home board game things so the one that we got i think it's a brand called uh, escape exclamation point if i remember right and it's set up with like a card game in an app so you have different clues that you could find in the cards and you have to use uh you know the clues that they tell you and find hidden objects within the cards or maybe on the app it was really fun and we invited a couple of people over had some dinner these friends uh happen to be very enthusiastic beer drinkers like myself so in fact uh the One of the guys, he has a like beer cellar in his basement, like hundreds of beers, vintages. And they brought over a couple nice things. Uh, Omegong Three Philosophers from back in 2013. So he'd been aging it for a while. I think that that brewery Omegong is out of Cooperstown, New York then there was a barrel aged saison from around here i can't remember what brewery i don't have the bottle in front of me right now but it was from a local here in montana it was about a year old or so a barrel aged i think in a chardonnay barrel and it was very good very good beer and the third was an alaskan smoked porter which is a very you know popular beer out of alaska you could imagine and they do, they have, they've been making it for many years, so there are a lot of vintages out there, and this one was from 2009, so I've had a lot of different, you know, versions of it over the years, and it was fantastic. We had that particular smoked Alaskan porter with, like, chocolate chip cookies and ice cream, so really good match there with a little of the smoke, a little sweet from the, uh, the cookies and the ice cream and all that stuff, so really fun i I do recommend checking out like uh those escape room board games are pretty fun and one of the cool parts is it's a time limit so sometimes if you play a board game you end up playing for like a really long time and it drags out this has a time limit and everyone has to work together so pretty fun and should check it out you i think the one we got was maybe like 15 or 20 bucks so much cheaper than going out it doesn't have the same uh feel when you're solving a puzzle via a card game versus you're actually like locked in a room where the door is locked and you have to like physically go around and find things and i bet some people are like better at solving like physical problems versus like looking at the you know the little card and trying to solve uh you know those riddles that way so i don't know give it a shot we enjoyed it quite a bit and turns out it was really freaking hard so we went through and we solved some puzzles that maybe we shouldn't have where we guessed and got the answer right. And we ended up not being able to solve it at the very end, even when we like were flipping cards over and trying to figure it out. Turns out we missed about half of the cards and skipped over about half of the game, which as we, uh, my wife and I went back through it the next morning, just on our own, where we you know, we knew how to solve certain things, but then we realized that we missed, like I said, about half the cards in the middle of the game. Like we just didn't use them, which is why we didn't have enough information to solve the uh, very end. So, anyway, it's pretty fun. Give it a shot. Now, on to the questions. This first question is about images. The person asked uh, whether or not I use public domain images, do I use Amazon images, how do I get product pictures, all that kind of stuff, and this is a super common question I hear it all the time. It comes in many different forms. The number one thing you want to think about and remember is if you didn't take the picture and you don't own the copyright for the image, then you can't use it. All right. So technically you can try to use it, but you put yourself at risk for a copyright violation, which is not good because someone can send you an email, a lawyer can send you a letter and tell you that uh, you know you're using it illegally and they can come after you for using it. So it's highly unlikely. It's highly unlikely to happen. However, it can happen, and I don't wanna be in a position where I've compromised my site because I've used an image improperly. So for product images, I use images from Amazon, but Amazon has very special rules about the way you can use the images. So back in the day, I used to download the image from Amazon, resize it, upload it to WordPress, and then I would use that image you're not supposed to do that. So technically you can get away with it, but that is not the area that i want to be in. So the right way, the way you're supposed to use images from Amazon, you're supposed to download them via the advertising API. So you can't, that's one way, the advertising API, and there are many different plugins that can help you do that. You don't have to code or anything, but there are a lot of plugins that can help you do that, like Amalinks Pro or a WP or Pro Associate or whatever. There's a lot of plugins that can help you do it. Further, you can just use the Site Stripe, which is like the simplest way to do it without having to buy a plugin. The cheapest way, you can use the Site Stripe and you snag a little piece of HTML code and then you could put that on your site and it works fine. Now the downside with the Site Stripe is usually the images are Actually, I think in 100% of the cases, the images are like a smaller resolution. So instead of getting like a big image that, you know, is high quality and and big, you end up with a very small image. Now, I tend to use the SiteStripe more than anything else because it's like the simplest solution. It's just HTML code versus having to use a plugin and all that stuff. So SiteStripe is typically what I do for other images. I tend to use Creative Commons sort of images. So you can go to Flickr Creative Commons and they have galleries, like many hundreds of thousands of images that you can download. And there are certain rules depending on the Creative Commons license that that particular image or photographer uses, but you may have to link back to their website. You may have to link to their Flickr image. So each of the images has the specific rule listed with it. You have to, you know, maybe you got to follow the link to the creative common area so you understand what to use, but essentially you're able to use images that are taken by, sometimes they're totally amateur photographers and their quality is not very good. Other times it's like really nice images. Now, One of the reasons I like Creative Commons is because a lot of times you can get images that are pretty good quality, but they don't look like stock images. Now, you can't really get images of products um, on a general basis because people are not taking pictures of like products to put on a website. They're usually just taking like some image. So for example, if I was building a site around ballpoint pens and journaling, then I may be able to go over to Flickr Creative Commons, find some images of a person who took a picture of a journal or maybe they're working on journaling or something like that and have they have pens in the background. That would be perfect. They look authentic and that's why I like them. They look authentic and they don't look like you know, a stock image that a company took um, and it looks really sterile so that's sort of my guide on images. Um, there are a lot of other places that you can get free images to use that are royalty free. And, you know, the copyright is open. Basically someone owns the copyright, but they allow people to use it. Some of those are like unsplash really high quality, um, stock images. Um, I think there's ISO Republic, there's Pexels, um, startup stock images. Those are like office photos, but There's a lot of different places you can get images to use that are indeed free or have, you know, uh, attribution credit. And that's the only thing you have to think of. Next question is around hosting. People ask about the, quote, best hosting company for affiliate sites or whatever. And like many answers that I give, there's a lot of uh, nuance in it. And there's no one best Company, so typically, if you hear someone say X company is the very best, that just means they're probably an affiliate for it or they founded the company. My main piece of advice is to not get the cheapest hosting. Like, if you don't get the cheapest hosting, you'll probably be okay. Generally, you're going to get what you pay for. And if your hosting is like $1 a month, it's probably going to be fairly slow and the technical support will be terrible. Now, I mentioned before, these uh, companies that I'm gonna mention, I'm I'm an affiliate for them. So if you buy through my um, recommendation through my link, then I get a commission. I'll put some links in the show notes and stuff like that. Again, I'm an affiliate, so I'd get a commission. I appreciate the support. It helps pay for my web hosting. So a couple of the companies that I really enjoy are these. So SiteGround Hosting, MDD Hosting, Bluehost, although I'll come back um, in a second and tell you a little bit more about Bluehost. So SiteGround, my number one choice right now, my favorite company, the customer service is really good. And you can start chatting and speaking with a real technical support person almost immediately. And I'm usually able to get an answer in the chat within like, 10 or 20 seconds. And that's a real admin that actually can like log on to your server and they can actually help you. Some of the other companies that I've worked with, Bluehost in particular, you may run into a customer support rep that basically follows a script. And if anything needs to actually be done, then the CSR has to open a ticket for tech support to do. Now, I will mention that I think. I haven't checked uh, specifically in the last uh, couple months, but SiteGround historically has been a tad more expensive than some of the other companies, but the support makes it worthwhile. Totally worth it. MDD Hosting is a very small company and they have the same level of support that I've found at SiteGround. I've been able to chat or speak with people really quickly. They don't have as many hosting options and it's literally like, a small company. I'm not sure where they host everything, but there's a lot of flexibility with MDD because it is a smaller company. You like may end up talking to the same technical support people over and over again. Um, it's a tad cheaper than SiteGround in most cases, and they have actually pretty good deals most of the time. So next is uh, Bluehost, really popular company. I still have a few sites hosted on Bluehost, the customer support um, has failed me in the past. They're recommended by a lot of influencers and they have been for a really long time. And I think that maybe they're not as good as everyone says. So let me let me um, actually back that up by uh, mentioning something that I heard from Pat Flynn. And this was back in episode... Two ninety-two of the Smart Passive Income podcast, and basically, he said that I'm going to quote a couple things here. Let me find it. So I'll try. I'll try to read out loud here. But this is uh, from Pat Flynn's podcast. Pat Pat Flynn's words here. So Bluehost is a hosted company. I still do recommend them. I'm going to have to give you the full story right now. In 2009, I began re- recommending. Bluehost and started to make a few thousand dollars here and there from affiliate promotions and they were taking great care of people. They took great care of me. They took care of my audience. The next year, my income continued to grow into the tens of thousands of dollars range in terms of affiliate earnings coming from Bluehost, which was fantastic. Then starting in 2013, I started to notice emails here and there from people who were not happy with the customer support coming from Bluehost, specifically when they had problems and issues. Then a year later, things got a bit better, and then they got worse again. I started to pay attention because now the thank yous were um, now the thank yous were less than the concerns. I was continuing to still have a lot of people who are happy with the recommendation and a few who had outlier experiences, but I did pay attention. Then I started to notice they became regular. and then in 2015 and 2016, I actually flew out to Utah to meet with a company and share with them, hey, this is not okay, this cannot happen. This is the kind of responsibility and feeling that you need to have with the products you promote and you need to take care of your people. In order for me to take the best care, I had to go and speak to the CEO and try to determine what was going on. So I'll end it there and basically say that Pat Flynn um, realized that there were some major issues at Bluehost, and by the way, that I had major issues in that 2015, 2016 range as well. My sites kept crashing. I couldn't get help, um, and eventually I moved over to SiteGround based on recommendations from some of my friends. And I'm so happy that I moved most of my sites over. Now, that said, I have... I still have sites hosted at Bluehost and I've talked with their like affiliate manager and brought up my concerns as well as far as promoting them. So they have gotten better in certain areas and they are still recommended by so many people um that you know it's hard to not find people recommending Bluehost actually. So anyway, I would have a look there and I would recommend SiteGround or MDD hosting over Bluehost, 100%. But if Bluehost is a company that you know, you're with, it doesn't mean that you should switch or anything like that unless you have some bad experience. And typically, once people have some bad experience, they just want to move. They want to get away from the company unless um, there's some super compelling reason to stay with them. Actually, let me tell you a little story about MDD hosting where I host niche site project and my course five-figure niche site they had a major outage for I think it was about two and a half to three days where my site was a hundred percent down and basically every single one of their sites that they were hosting it was down and it was a, a a manual error basically it was a manual error they fully disclosed the issue that they had and it was an error that like someone deleted um, the OS on like one of the main servers and it like cascaded and destroyed everything else. The thing is they had like maybe two fail-safe backup plans that actually failed. One of them was Mm. the backups that they had they weren't able to um, like access them properly, so they had off-site backups and they were going to restore from those off-site backups in some other location hundreds of miles away. The problem was they never tried to restore everything, right? They never tried to restore everything from the off-site um, servers. So basically it took too long to upload and download and transfer the data from the off-site servers to... Like the home base servers, wherever those were located. So it took a few days for everything to transfer. I'm staying with MDD hosting though. So a couple reasons why. Number one, they fully disclosed everything along the way. They said, Hey, this was a mistake. We're working on it. Once they figured out what was wrong, they let us know the ETAs and they were, I mean, they were working 24 seven on it. Multiple people were working 24 seven on it. And in the past, I maybe would have switched to another company, but because of the way everything went down, I'm a hundred percent certain this problem will never happen again with MDD hosting because they figured out what to do if that issue happened again. So like that specific thing will never happen again. And they handled it much better than like other companies where, Maybe you couldn't get a hold of anyone. No one would give you any information. Um, Maybe they wouldn't give you ETAs. But MDD, at at the very least, they were transparent, 100% transparent. And because they just had this issue, I know it's not going to happen again. And now they know how to solve it. So take that for what it's worth. But even though they had this major outage, um, I'm sticking with MDD hosting, at least for you know, these different, uh, sites that I have. Now you may notice, I mentioned a few different hosting companies and I kind of like having different things hosted in different places. For example, MDD hosting went down a hundred percent and I have other sites and other at other hosting companies. And because of that, if a hosting company goes down for some reason, it doesn't mean all my sites are down and that's kind of important to me. So I sort of spread the risk in that way. The third question is on finding a niche. Now this is the most important phase of the process. Well, almost everything's pretty important, but for beginners, this may be the most important part because every single part of working on an affiliate site is dependent on choosing a niche that targets a group of willing buyers. And you really can't make the niche site work if you don't have a commercially viable niche or market to target. Now, think of it this way. I like to say you need to intercept a customer on the way to make a purchase on Amazon. The people visiting your site will be buying something, no matter what, hopefully. So you just need to help them make that buying decision. So there are multiple kinds of niche sites out there. And we're focusing, of course, primarily on Amazon affiliate sites. So keep that in mind. Now, if you're building like an AdSense site, this doesn't apply directly, but you could use some of the same ideas. When you're trying to find and, I guess, pick your niche, you should just brainstorm a bunch of different topics, all right? So get all these ideas out of your head. Don't worry about, you know, writing down like a bad idea or coming up with something that you're not sure about because brainstorming shouldn't be filtered. You should just come up with a bunch of ideas. Most of those ideas are going to be bad. So one of the best tips that I can give you on finding a niche where there are indeed products available that's a good market and all that stuff for an Amazon affiliate site is to just go to Amazon. Amazon go over to Amazon, start at like the top level um, directory, the top level of products. And I recommend you find something that you're already familiar with, products or I guess categories that you buy stuff from. And if you're really into um, you know, basket weaving or something like that, you can go to the basket weaving section and crafts and all that and just see the products that are out there. Chances are there's a lot of products that, maybe you weren't even familiar with. And if you navigate um, through Amazon, you'll just see a lot of products that are recommended at the very bottom. There are ads that are placed all over the the page, right? So if you just start browsing around, you'll start seeing more and more products maybe that you weren't familiar with. So I do recommend you find something that you're kind of familiar with, maybe that you're interested in so that there's uh, some expertise that you may be able to bring to the table, but even if not, it's totally cool if you like just browse around on stuff that you're completely unfamiliar with. That is fine. You can learn about the products later, but the good part about being at least a little bit interested or familiar with the category or niche or set of products is that when things get hard, and they will, when things get difficult and maybe your motivation is wavering just a bit at least you'll still be interested in the products, right? You'll, you still have the expertise and you understand a little bit about the product. So you know, don't be scared to, to choose the wrong niche. I, I made bad choices in the beginning. The key thing is to learn from the mistakes that you will inevitably make and try not to make them again. So browse around on Amazon. is one of the best ways to figure out your niche thanks again to nick loper for joining me on this episode of the doug show really appreciate that nick and thanks a lot for joining me today listeners if you are not subscribed to the show please do consider subscribing i talk about affiliate marketing and i tell some stories and I interview entrepreneurs, digital nomads, and other folks like that. Just interesting people that I want to talk to. If you are already subscribed, thank you very much. I encourage you, please, please to leave a rating on iTunes or whatever app you use. And I would love it if you wrote a review too. That is a uh, really good way to help me out. I appreciate it. If you do write a review, they tell me it helps out helps other people find it and let's uh, like other folks know that are maybe interested that they should give it a listen. So I really appreciate that. In uh, the next couple episodes, keep a lookout for uh, or keep an ear out rather for the keyword golden ratio. We're going to have a couple of those uh, more technical episodes coming up. And uh, you know what? That's it. We'll catch you later.
0: Thanks a lot.